Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey podcast. And we are here, of course, because the Devils did stuff, and so we have to talk about it. I'm Dan Roselle, and I'm joined by John Fisher. How's it going, John? It goes pretty well in what was a surprisingly busy week for the New Jersey Devils. Yeah, so there was a couple of questions uh, that the Devils still needed to address that we had talked about in the past. And let's start with the the questions that we had as to who Lindy Ruff would choose to fill out his coaching staff after uh, Roland uh, Melanson was let go, after he was still looking for another assistant coach. We have our answer to both of those questions. As the Devils have hired Dave Rogalski uh, from the St. Louis Blues as their goaltending coach, and they've hired Chris Taylor from the Rochester Americans as the last coach to fill out uh, their bench as an assistant coach. So these coaches come from very different places. It took very different paths to get to be on the same staff in the NHL. Uh, Rogalski is credited with the ascendance of Jordan Binnington and making him and trusting him to be good enough that St. Louis was able to trade away Jake Allen. And Taylor managed to take the Rochester Americans, make them into a consistent playoff team, despite uh, the parent club having very little success with the same players. So some credit goes to him there. And he also was a player under Lindy Ruff as part of the Buffalo Sabres uh, for several, I think, games. I'm not sure if it was season. Was it a couple of seasons? 90, 90 games over four seasons. Okay. Bottom six gotcha. minutes. Gotcha. So, yeah. He, he didn't play a lot under Ruff. Regardless, he's very familiar with Ruff and his coaching style, and he's also known as a player's coach over in Rochester. So, what do these two hires mean for the Devils? Well, it means their coaching staff has been officially filled out. And what does that mean? Well, John, you tell me. Well, the hire of Chris Taylor is an interesting one, since if you figure that Recky is going to be focusing on forwards in the power play, and... Um, Nazardine's going to be focusing on the defense and the penalty kill. It begs the question, well, what is Taylor going to focus on? And the answer is it could be a little bit of everything. Uh, most NHL coaching staffs have at least three assistants these days. It's not like the old days where you just have one head coach and one assistant and you call it a day. Um, there's a lot more work involved. There's a lot more engagement involved. There's a lot more tasks to do. And uh, the fact that Taylor not only was a player's coach, but he was in the AHL for a very long time as a coach um, right after his Pro career ended in 2011 because after his um, 2003 and 2004 season with Buffalo, he played four more seasons with Rochester and then three seasons in Germany. Um, he went right behind the bench for Rochester. He started as a development coach, then became an assistant for four seasons. He became the head coach of the Americans in 2017-18 and brought them back to the playoffs after a three-year uh, playoff playoffless run. So he was pretty well liked and starting to move up the chain, so to speak. He even got two months as an interim assistant in the NHL when um, Buffalo made one of their coaching changes last mm. year before he was uh, cold, along with a lot of other Jason Botterill's guys um, in Buffalo's cleaning house back in June. Uh, some Sabre fans were pretty unhappy that Taylor was like low because he was successful in Rochester. And it looked like that he had a pathway to the NHL. Now the Devils get to pick him up. So it remains to be seen how Taylor will be used. But if you're going to pick up on, a, on an assistant coach, picking up somebody who was a, you know, successful at the AHL level, improved an organization, somebody who is very familiar with both the AHL and the and, and playing in the NHL too and playing in uh, also in other areas like in the AHL and in Germany. Um, he's got a wealth of experience that he can definitely pass on to what will be a fairly young New Jersey Devils right. roster. And perhaps that in of itself helped tip the scales in 
for him as opposed to some of the other assistant coaches available on the market. Yeah, and I, I'm sure the familiarity with Lindy Ruff can have hurt his case there. Uh, I think just having someone who spent a lot of time with him and also, you know, there's the Wilkes Bar connection that the Devils keep dipping back into uh, where he. Well, he was only there for one Well, year. yeah, I know, but even still, it's almost like a prerequisite at this point for someone uh, based on who they've had on their coaching staff the last five or six years. Uh, but Rogalski does not fit that bill. Rogalski was no. uh, a completely different path to uh, arriving as a goaltending coach in St. Louis. And again, he's often credited with the work that uh, went into making Jordan Bennington a Stanley Cup winning goaltender. Well, Rogalski never played pro hockey. Mm-hmm. He, the most, the highest level he's ever played was division three hockey in college. Um, and he spent six years being, um, a goaltending coach for St. Cloud state university and sometimes as a volunteer. So this is a guy that clearly got into coaching and enjoyed enough, enjoyed it, doing it enough that he didn't want to get paid and maybe couldn't get paid by St. Cloud state, uh, to stay on the roster. He finally got his, um, first pro hockey job with St. Louis as a development coach. And that's part of the reason why he focused much more of his attention on Jordan Biddington as opposed to Jake Allen. However, the devil's release made it clear that he also scouted out goaltenders as well. So we'll see if, you know, St. Louis listened to him, if their goaltending prospects work out from the last three drafts. Um, nevertheless, um, the Bennington factor was obviously the big tipping point. He's a fairly young coach, whereas, you know, Taylor has a long history in hockey Rogalski is not even 40 years old. He's 39. He's two years older than I am. Uh, so, you know, they're, this is more taking a chance saying, okay, this guy did some good work with Bennington. It probably helped that Martin Brodeur was around as a manager, right. uh, assistant, assistant uh, GM, more specifically with St. Louis at the time. And he's a goaltender himself. So he probably could figure out that uh, Rogalski probably knew what he was talking about. So, We'll see that uh, if he can take the lessons learned from Bennington and what he learned in his time in St. Louis, what he picked up there, and see what he does with Mackenzie Blackwood, Corey Crawford, and what will eventually become a fairly young and inexperienced uh, goaltending death with Gillisan, and later in the future, assuming Rogalski is still with the team, Schmid, Dawes, and, and so forth. Yeah, so uh, again, this is there's no one you want on a goaltending coach search more than Martin Brodeur. I would say, I I think his contribution to this is not something that they had the last time they brought in uh, a goaltending coach. They kind of just brought in whoever had worked with Corey Schneider before. And again, Melanson's a respected guy around the league, but if you're doing a fresh search and looking for young talent, then doesn't hurt to have one of the greatest goalies and players of all time in charge of that search or really contributing greatly to that search, as I'm sure he did, as he moved from more of the business development side back to hockey ops uh, in the past year, uh, did Martin Brodeur. So two coaches to fill out the bench for the Devils, and now they have uh, their staff in line. It would be Lindy Ruff, assisted by Mark Reckie, Elaine Nasruddin, and Chris Taylor, with Dave Rogalski uh, taking over the goaltending position. So there you go. That's your devil's bench. So what level of confidence are you feeling heading into the season with that uh, lineup? Well, I think it's okay. I mean, the thing about assistants is that, you know, there's always a chicken or the egg situation with them. You know, you, is it the guys, you know, is it the Jimmy's and the Joe's or the X's and the O's? Um, you know, sometimes the players just aren't good enough and no, no coach can really salvage that. Not everybody's a Larry Robinson and not everybody's a Mike Amato that Larry Robinson can magically turn into a top four defender. Um, 
That's my favorite example to use, by the way. I like Jacques uh, but more seriously, the entirety of the devils. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. Some of those devils knew oh, they how knew to how to play, the play but most most of uh, that team was not expected to play as well as they did. No, they they exceeded what most of the uh, the consensus and the narrative thought of them at the time. But more 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 relevant to today's game. Um, I think the coaching staff is definitely a different look. I mean, from Tom Fitzgerald's point of view, there's value to that. It's not completely new since Nazardine is returning, but, you know, you have a new power play and forwards coach in Recce. You have Taylor with his wealth of experience. Roth in in of itself is new to the organization. Rogalski is new to being a goaltending coach anywhere um, outside of, you know, college and the USHL. So, this, this will definitely be an experiment, and there is value to say that if you've got a young roster and you're not quite sure what you're going to do in the coming season with a season that we're not sure what it's going to be even, uh, you might as well take some chances, see what they got, and if it doesn't work out, reassess and move on uh, with some other guys in the mm-hmm. future. And speaking of other guys in the future, uh, it's not so distant future, but other guys that we'll see in a Devils uniform, uh, there was one additional free agent signing that the Devils made. In the eternal quest for sandpaper, they managed to conscript Dmitry Kulikov from the Winnipeg Jets and formerly of the Florida Panthers and the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, He is slotting in as what looks like a bottom four defenseman. um, And, you know, there's obviously some qualms about him playing the three, four slot, but as a bottom pair defenseman, he's perfectly acceptable as a defensive defenseman. Uh, he, he's someone who does not provide much in terms of offense. Last year, he played in 51 games with Winnipeg and got 10 total points to show for it, but had a pretty good advance or not pretty good, but pretty reasonable and not detrimental advanced stats, which is key as the devil's bottom four was littered with people who were actively detrimental and not just acceptable. Right. I mean, the best way I described this is that this is your Mirko Mueller replacement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's not your Andy Green replacement. I mean, in a sense, the Devils needed a veteran, um, somebody to, quote unquote, stabilize the blue line. Because let's be real, the Devils did not have a lot of stability on the yeah. line on the defense last season. They may have had consistent lineups, but they weren't very good. And Kulikov, the word on him is that sometimes he just has some big brain farts around his net and that's kind of reflected as to why a lot of people online you know look at his expected goals value and say oh he's terrible um because yeah it's a very low expected goals for percentage but the mitigation factor is that winnipeg as a whole sucked on defense even harder than the new jersey devils in some respect uh they were just they were just giving up scoring chances left right and center from pretty much everyone in the league the team as a whole was 30th out of 31 in terms of high danger rate uh, chance against rates and Kolokov even wasn't the guy giving up the highest rate of high danger chances among the defensemen, if you can believe it. So, you know, despite some of his legitimate issues, um, he wasn't nearly as bad as, I don't think he's nearly as bad as the expected goals model makes him out to be. And a move to New Jersey probably helps him in that respect. Um, so, you know, this is your guy who could play on the third or second pairing. This is a guy who he did play, 20 minutes per game for Winnipeg last season. So this notion that he's coming in as a third pairing defenseman is a little odd to me because he wasn't in Winnipeg, but maybe ideally he should be on yeah, the third I, pairing. I think that's more the, the point that people were trying to make is that yeah. ideally he's a third pairing defenseman that doesn't hurt you. Right. He's, he's in a, in a sense, I, I hate to use this comparison because I think it's not totally fair to Kulikov is he's kind of like Ben Lovejoy. Mm-hmm. 
Could he play more than he does? Yes. When you see him play and you look at his stats, you'll realize, no, he shouldn't, <laughs> uh, to your point. So, you know, can he play on the penalty kill? Yes, he can. Can he can he fill in for some spots and not necessarily hurt you when you need those depth minutes instead of relying on somebody like somebody marginal like Connor Carrick or re- relying on a rookie, you know, that, that could be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's one season, 1.15 million. So his contract is not going to really block anybody for very long. And more importantly, it doesn't hurt the devil's cap. They still have seven, over $17 million to spend to re-sign Broughton, Blackwood, and whatever else that Tom Fitzgerald wants to yeah, do. Yeah, so, as you mentioned, the, it's okay. the risk is astronomically small. It's not a lot of money, almost no term. It's the smallest possible term you could have with any of these new contracts, and it's you know, he's clearly not taking away someone else's spot for the foreseeable future. It's uh, if it works out well, then we revisit in the future, but you know, there's no expectation of any sort of longer deal with the amount of uh, defensemen the devils now have in the pipeline. Right. And they may get a chance anyway, because like Ryan Murray, unfortunately Kulikov and and playing lots of games does not seem to go Uh together. Uh, I've got this here in the last four seasons. So since he was traded from Florida in 2016, Kulikov has played in 47, 62, 57, and 51 regular season games over the last four seasons. Now, I understand last season was cut short, but he did miss part of last season, too. Mm -hmm. And part of the problem with defensive defensemen, among other things, is that their their way of playing tends to lead to minor injuries, which means they miss a couple games here, a couple games there, and therefore you're not going to get full value out of them. Um, You know, to put it in perspective... Kulikov only played 30 more games than Murray did over the last four seasons. And while, again, Murray can probably do a lot of good things for the Devils' defense, the concern here is availability. Is he able to get? Is he going to be available to play hockey games for the Devils? And Kulikov carries the same risk. So if there's a reason to be, I guess, negative about the signing, that's pretty much it. Is like you went out there and you paid seven figures, even if it's just for a season, for somebody that you're not confident is going to give you 60 games. Now, granted, we may not have a 60-game season, so that may be mm-hmm. moot. But the point is, is like if if his style of play is going to get you get him hurt and make make him unable to play, then okay. So why did you sign this guy if you're going to be relying on a rookie or a call up for that spot for 20, 30 games anyway? But given what, what again, it's like I said earlier, we don't know exactly what the Devils will be aiming for. They're probably not going to be a playoff team. They're probably not going to quote unquote go for it. So take some risks, see what happens. As you said, there's no term to this deal, so why not? It's an okay sign. And Devils fans will remember Kulikov as the uh, player who sent their season careening into a tailspin from the very first game uh, last year when he scored Winnipeg's first goal after being down 4 nothing to start that comeback and really be a harbinger of everything terrible that was to come that season. So thanks for that one, Dima. Welcome to New Jersey. Thank you for (laughs) reminding And thank you for reminding everybody. Dan. In case anyone had forgotten how things started off last year. But now he's on our side. Hopefully we get to do that to someone else uh, this year. Anyway, uh, that'll take us right to the commercial break because we've got a list to break down for you. It's very exciting. We've got our top 25 under 25 list. And we're going to start today, right after this break, with the players that unfortunately did not make the top 25, but uh, we'll see if there's anything in there worth discussing in anyone who looks likely to make the top 25 in subsequent years. All right, we will be right back. 
Okay, welcome back to the podcast. And of course, as I mentioned before the break, we've got a top 25 under 25, and this list is popular. This list is the biggest it's been in a long, long time uh, in terms of the Devils prospects that uh, they have in the system and also playing in the NHL currently. We included those players because, again, they qualify if they're under 25, not if they're, you know, not in the NHL. So, Obviously, the names at the top are going to be known, and we'll get to them when we get to them. But let's start with the names that didn't quite make the cut, numbers 26 through 52. Right. So we call this list the outsiders because they're outside of the top 25 under 25. And uh, before I get into it, Dan, I do want to thank all 245 people who voted in the community survey, um, as we have been doing for the last seven years or so. Uh, We take the results of the community survey, uh, average and score the results. And they get to be uh, on the same level as the writers, which, such as you and myself, Dan, mm-hmm. uh, who made our top 25 under 25 lists. And then they have a role in the final score. So the people who matter absolutely matter in, the, in this list that we're about to start breaking down. And Dan, you also matter because you also contributed to this year's list. Um, wow. So thank you yeah. for that. You got it. OK, so now let's talk about the guys who didn't make it. Now, Brandon Baddock is now a Montreal Canadian, Dan, so he couldn't make it for a fifth straight year <laughs> in the bottom uh, the spot. The greatest we're streak start from in the Devils bottom. history ends. We're, we're, we're starting from the bottom all the way to 26 <laughs> here, so um, it's going to move a little faster. Bear with me, everyone. Uh, number 52 is Evan Cormier, goaltender, who uh, split time between Binghamton and Adirondack last season. The uh, He fell from 43rd last year all the way down to 52 in the bottom spot, and... Um, there's a good reason for that. We discussed it a bit last week. You know, Scott Wedgwood was just signed as a veteran number three option. Sen is expected to stay in Binghamton like he did last season. And Schmidt and Dawes are very close to going pro. So if uh, unless Cormier turns it around, he may not be in the Devils organization for very long. So, and I think the fans recognize that, and he ends up at the bottom on the list. Yeah. Coming in at number 51 is another player we discussed last <laughs> week, David Quenville. Who actually uh, got the most last place votes with four, but you know it's a weighted average that we calculate this. So Quenville fil- finished just ahead of Mr. Uh, Cormier for the bottom spot. Um, yeah, five foot eight defender who doesn't score a lot of points, even though he scored a whole bunch with Medicine Hat in the WHL. Um, it's to be fair, he didn't get a real chance in Binghamton. So, but as we, as we're going to reveal on this list, there's a lot of defensemen yeah. in this system, <laughs> and. Uh, this man is very quickly going to be on the outside looking in. So he comes in at 51. Good luck to Mr. Quenville. Uh, num- coming in at number 50 is another player we discussed last week. And you're starting to see a yeah. trend here about the players we discussed last week of guys whose contracts are ending and may not get a second contract or another contract after their current one. It's Nikita Papagayev, who is the biggest faller from last year's list. Uh, the community survey put him in the top 25, believe it or not. Uh, not to pick on the community, but I, I'm mentioning that to say there was some real hype for this mm. guy. You know, people were excited for the six foot six, 200 pound, 18 year old winger, you know, picked up in the fourth round and, you know, a couple of years back. But he just has not figured it out anywhere. He didn't find it in Prince George. He didn't find it in Ciscott Moscow. He didn't find it in Amara Khabarovsk. He didn't find it in Binghamton. He didn't find it in Adirondack. He didn't find it. And he has not found it yet in Dinamo Moscow. Mm. So. He fell from 28th to 50th on this list. <laughs> biggest biggest dropper among everybody else on this list. So there were some big droppers this year. We'll, we'll go. We'll touch on them as we get there. 
Um, coming in at number 49 is Cole Brady, who actually had a better season in the USHL than it seemed than you may think. Uh, his overall save percentage with Fargo was only 90.3%, which on its own is not that good, Dan. That's not a good overall save percentage in most leagues. But in the USHL last season, it was the ninth best one in the league, and he led all rookie goalies. So that being said, he's a long-term prospect, and long-term prospects typically don't get rated highly until they start to have that quote-unquote breakout season like an Arntel Vite or somebody else that we're going to mention later on as we go down these lists. Uh, he's going to go to Arizona State next season. They're going to play in the Big Ten, so he's going to see he's going to see a very strong Michigan team. If you're interested in the 2021 draft, you're going to want to follow Michigan this year. Um, he's going to play Minnesota. He's going to play uh, Wisconsin. So he's going to have some strong he's competition play against Talvide's we'll Penn State. Oh, that too. Mm-hmm. I forgot. Penn State is indeed in the Big mm-hmm. Ten. I I should know that they're <laughs> in Big Ten like 20. Yeah, years, Arizona but, I mean, State's the hockey. weird one there, but only because uh, hockey is. Not as much a thing in the Pacific uh, Pacific area. It only takes one. Well, I shouldn't say one. It only takes a whole bunch of very rich donors who want to pay for ice rinks yeah. and uh, a lot of scholarships for men and women. And now we're seeing Arizona they, State players join the NHL, so they've made it. Hey, hey, it's a it's a very good recruiting pitch. Do you want to go play in London in the middle of December? Or do you want to hang out with uh, hot you know hot dudes and hot babes in this in 70 degree weather in the in the winter yeah, Dan. i mean sounds pretty good as a hockey player <laughs> yeah exa- yeah exactly anyway coming going back to north american hockey in a place where hockey is a little more common we're going to go back to upstate new york with jeremy grolo at 48th he was an undrafted free agent signed out of Shakutime in 2019 he played his first full pro season uh, he played 32 games with Binghamton. He had a five-game spell with ECHL. Um, he was starting to get a little more ice time in Binghamton before the pandemic ended. So he's only 20 years old, so there is some reason to think he's got some potential, Dan. But I couldn't tell you what exactly Grolo's future will mm-hmm. hold. And again, with so many defensemen coming into the organization, they're starting to turn professional in a year or two. Um, there's not a lot of reason to get excited for this guy. So as, as a result, he fell seven spots to 48th. And we'll see what his future actually is because he's got to show it very, very soon. Anyway, coming up to 47th is another uh, former undrafted free agent defender coming out of junior, Colby Sissons, who has fallen a big from 34th all the way to 47th, 13 spots. Uh, He got a lot of hype because in his last major junior season, he put up 71 points in 72 games, 23 points in 26 playoff games for what was the championship winning swift current broncos so there was a lot of hope that hey he could be a player dan well (laughs) as we discussed last week uh he split last season with 38 games in binghamton put up 11 points and then he got moved down to the echl for nine games last season he played six games for binghamton and played 48 games for adirondack so he he's going downward in, in the system and again he's got a lot to prove we don't know what this season's going to hold in terms of what his options will be, but those salad days from Swift Current are clearly in the past, and his ranking. Yeah, he that. is not quite off the Papagayev precipice, as I will now be calling it henceforth. Um, but you don't want to be in that area where you're dropping 13 spots in the rankings, especially since more and more prospects keep coming, and more and more guys that are younger than you keep passing you in these rankings. Like this is just us, but this is perception of the organization as well, which is you know in often cases with these depth players, even more important. Absolutely. And that's the whole reason why we do these lists and why we've been doing them for nine, for nine years, Dan is it's an exercise in perception. Mm -hmm. Like 
you know, you know, any good franchise needs players to come up through the pipeline, whether it's going to be your future depth player, your future call up or your future first line center. Um, Cause those can make a big difference of whether or not your organization is going to be good in the future. It's going to be good now, or you're going to have some real struggles in the future and you're and the GM is going to have to be creative with free agent signings and trades to keep the progress going for the organization. Um, that being said, um, you mentioned defensemen that are passing him. Well, here's a defenseman who, who uh, ranked ahead of him. He only dropped one spot. It's Matthew Hellickson of Notre Dame. And we discussed him a little bit last week mm-hmm. as well. He's the kind of defenseman where unfortunately Notre Dame hockey is not as well followed as Notre Dame football. So he's definitely a bit under the radar. It's a little hard to get a sense of what his future holds, but he is at least a smart player. He made the all academic team for two years running. He was an honorable mention as a junior for the all big 10 team. So, you know, since he never, he doesn't, he didn't have that big breakout season. And unless he has one as a senior with Notre Dame, he's probably not going to get ranked very highly until he shows himself in pro hockey. Um, which I hope he does move on Mm -hmm. to. And if he does, he'll probably get a chance to make a bigger name for himself and move up this list pretty rapidly. But uh, for now, he's about the same spot where he was last year. Uh, Coming in at number 45 is our first of the 2020 draft class. Typically, the non-first-rounders of the draft class don't get rated very highly, and this one uh, doesn't. It's coming in at 45 is Artem Shalane, or Shalane. Yeah, it's it's Shalane. Uh, just having done the the write up on him during the draft, uh, I don't know. I I don't know how he ranked ahead of these other guys, but it just means that their time in the organization has not impressed anyone to the point where these complete question marks are above them. And Schlein was the one draft pick this year that I was like, I don't know what they really saw in this guy, but I guess they threw a dart late in the fifth or sixth round, and that's what they landed on. He's a- He's a project pick. He's going to join Connecticut. We'll see what mm-hmm. he does. You know, to to, to be ta- to be fair, Dan, to Hellickson, um, and uh, the next guy on our list, forty six through forty four were a very tight race in the okay. ranking. Like you could swap any of these three guys, and it'd probably be around the same. Coming at number forty four is Case McCarthy, uh, the right shooting defenseman who plays for Boston University. He was touted for being a physical defensive defenseman, and it, as such, it's hard to really get a read on how he did as, at a distance because he's not going to give you lots of points. Uh, his own player page at the college website highlighted the number of shot blocks he officially had, uh, which means they're kind of struggling for numbers to point at you to say, hey, he's good, because unfortunately, good defense, Dan, doesn't really show up on a stat sheet, and it's hard to communicate uh, unless you get to hear somebody tell you about it. And unless somebody out there is following Boston University very closely— <laughs> Um, we're just not going to know. And as such, he doesn't rank very highly on the list. So he comes in at 44, but he's in college. There's time for him to wait. So we'll see. Um, coming at number 43 is the other seventh rounder from the 2017 draft, Igor Zaitsev, uh, who plays for Dinamo Moscow. Um, unlike Nikita Papagayov, he plays regularly for Dinamo Moscow mm-hmm. and he act over this last season. He actually got moved up from playing the you know, stereotypical eight to 10 to 12 minutes as a young player, because Russian hockey culture says, if you're young, you don't play a lot. It just is what yeah. it is. But he actually played uh, around 15 to 16 minutes per game last season, which is actual progress. And he's looking to do the same right now in the KHL. The big question is, does he have a future in North America? His contract ends after the season. Uh, so it's a big question is, one, would the Devils be interested in trying to bring him over? And two, would he be interested in coming over? Because 
Dinamo Moscow is not exactly a, a scrub team in the KHL. There's, that's a team with history, and as I understand it, a team with money. So if they want to keep Zaitsev, they could probably, you know, and if Zaitsev prefers to stay in Moscow, they can probably make it work. Mm-hmm. And uh, But he's 43rd on the list. So Devils just losing we'll, Jaegers you know, left and right. Well, they traded. Yeah, the they other traded team. one. They they, 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 volu- they voluntarily lost that. Year. They voluntarily traded one. This one could run out of contract, but uh, we're not going to talk about the the third one just yet because he made the top twenty five. Look at that. Yeah, he did. So we're not going to discuss him this week. You'll have to wait yeah, till it's later. Yeah, tease there. Um, That's what we call a tease in the yeah. hot podcast business. Yeah. Well, here's not a tease. Number 42 on the list is the second member of our 2020 draft class that coming into the list is Ethan Edwards. And I think he's ranked a little bit higher because he was productive with Spring Grove in the AJHL, which is a junior league. Uh, 33 points in 50 games for a defenseman is a pretty good amount, albeit in a fairly weaker junior A league. Uh, He's going to have a step up in competition because he's expected to join uh, Sioux City of the USHL. So, the USHL, I think, is a. I think it's fair to say it's a stronger league than most junior A leagues. You know, there are more players being drafted out of the USHL. There's more players going there before they move on to college. And Ethan Edwards is going to a very big university. He is going to join Michigan after this coming mm-hmm. season. And that Michigan team could be fairly stacked, even if it's just for Ethan Edwards' uh, freshman year, depending on uh, how many of the 2021 prospects are going to stick around as a Wolverine. So, um, It'll be a good, you know, moving up, moving up a little bit. He had a productive season uh, in his draft eligible season. So coming at 42 is not a bad place to start. Um, Coming at number 41 is another member of the 2020 draft class. It's Benjamin Baumgartner of HC Davos, the overage pick. Um, Similar to Yegor Sharangovich, he can jump into North American hockey if he wants to. But he signed through HC Davos for this season, so it's not going to happen this season Mm -hmm. anyway. But. He has been improving in with HC Davos in his National League debut two seasons ago. He just had one goal and four points in 20 games. Last season, he had seven goals and 27 points in 37 games. All ready to start this season, which I don't know if it's on hold or not due to the pandemic, because the pandemic is starting to reemerge as a big problem in Europe. Now, as if, well, to be fair, it always was a big problem, but now it's reemerging as a bigger problem. Right. Um, but he's got two goals in four games, so... And he's got Joe Thornton to hang out with now. So it's still a massive question if he can handle the North American game, but we could have an ant- start having an answer to that pretty soon. And I think people understand that if you're going to pick an overage guy, seventh round, this is a guy that you want to pick, a guy who is showing up pretty well in a fairly decent Swiss league. So he comes in at 41. Welcome to the list, Ben. Mm-hmm. So that's two in a row from this most recent draft class as well. All right. Now we're going to move on to a, our first uh, dropper from the top 25 of last year, Akira Schmidt. Mm-hmm. Oh, he had a very good 2018-19 season, Dan, but he did not have a good 2019-20 season. Injuries cut his season short, so that hurt. And when he did play, it was rough, Dan. He only got into six games with Omaha. He posted up an 89.1 overall save percentage. Yeah, disappointing. He got moved to Sioux City, he got moved to Sioux City and posted up an 88.8 in seven games. That's not good. Um, you know, there was a lot of reason to think, oh, you know, you got a goaltender of the future here. He's starting to turn 20. Nope. And he's going to stay in the USHL for another season. So he's not moving up to pro hockey yet, which is probably for the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to return to Sioux City um, for this coming season. Hopefully he has a healthier and more effective season. 
And if so, he'll move back up this list. But yeah, he fell 15 spots and fell them hard on this list. Yeah, I mean, those numbers are not good. It's more a matter of perception that he was able to stay this far up with those stats that he put together this year, honestly. Yeah, I think to be fair, I think people do, you know, if you did follow Schmidt a little closely, you did realize he just had a really rough campaign. It's not necessarily a case of, you know, the carriage turning into a pumpkin or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, speaking of players who fell on the list but actually had a decent season, we come in at 39 with Michael Vukojevic. He didn't have a bad season, Dan. He still played big minutes for Kitchener. He had a little bit of production. He scored one more point than he did last season. He wore an A for his team. But he fell nine spots because some other bigger names fell down into this uh, range in the 30s, now that we're discussing them. Others got moved up into the 30s, and there were some new names. So he was really more of a victim of circumstance as opposed to having a bad Mm -hmm. season. But again, similar to Case McCarthy, defensive, physical defensemen are just not going to rank highly on this list because they're not typically going to have the big breakout numbers or the big breakout praise that a forward would get. And as such, from a perception point of view, it's hard to get a real read on what the future holds. We'll see. But so, but he had a fine season. You know, it is what it yeah. is. Coming in, coming in, who also had a fine season, and I think is also underrated a little bit on this list, in my opinion, Patrick Moynihan of Providence coming in at 38th. Uh, believe it or not, he put up 13 goals and eight assists as a freshman. And that doesn't sound like a lot, Dan, but uh, his 21 points was the sixth most on the Friars last season, and he finished third on the team in goals, and he led the team in power play goals, which meant... He worked his way onto his special team as a freshman, which is pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. Um, It's still a big uh, question as far as what his actual upside would be. I mean, he was a six-round draft pick. He did come out of the U.S. National Team Developmental Program, but he was more of a bottom six, hard-working type of forward, which, you know, they're nice to have in your system, but they're not going to be impact players in the future, similar to a Blake Piatella uh, of the past. But he had a good year as a freshman, you know? That's all you want. want That's all you want. That's all you can do. (laughs) Exactly. So he had a good start to his NCAA career. If he starts building on this, don't be don't be shocked if he starts moving up in the list in the future. So thirty eight. He's thirty eighth. For I would half. say he's one of the we'll better see. you know college players the Devils have right now. Yeah. Well, to be fair, you know, again, he there's a lot of guys on this list, and this is an exercise of perception. So, you know, it is what it is. He barely got edged out by this guy who fell from the top twenty five last mm-hmm. season. Um, it's a player we did discuss last week, Brandon Zignac. Um, he had a good 2018-19 season, averaged over a 0.5 point per game rate on a bad Binghamton team. He did make an NHL debut, um, but man, he he didn't have a productive season last year. He didn't have a massive injury as far as I know. He just was a healthy scratch quite a bit, and that's a red flag for a guy in his third year of pro hockey. And the fact that, as you pointed out many times last week, the Devils have a lot of centers yeah, coming in. Yeah. So, and, and a number of centers are ahead of him on this list, and some of them we're going to discuss very soon in this uh, very episode. So, that's a big reason why he fell from 20th all the way down to 37th. He just barely edged out Moynihan in the ranking. Like, if a couple guys moved moved one up or, or moved one of these two guys up or down a spot or two, I think you could have flip flopped these mm-hmm. two. And one of those centers that got ahead of Mr. Zignac is number 36, Nate Schnarr one of the players in return for Taylor Hall. He did stay in the AHL. That's a positive thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and some of the other guys we just discussed. Um, he, you know, he did have some minor injuries and he was moved around in the lineup, according to Jeff and his panel, um, you know, trying to find a, 
regular spot for him, it was a bit of a challenge. And Binghamton had a lot of forwards to jumble up and down. So with Jignac scratch, maybe Schnarr plays a lesser role than maybe Lower. So he does have he does have to prove himself to show how he fits on an AHL team. However, he's 21, Dan. You know, there's he's got a little more time than say Zignac, who's entering his fourth pro season in hockey and will turn 23, I believe, in the coming season. So coming in at 36 is not a bad place to start for. I guess the least enticing asset from the Taylor Hall trade. And yet still, since Taylor Hall didn't resign there, the devil still got more out of that than Arizona did. <laughs> of course. And, um, but we won't be discussing that in this episode. That's another tease, I guess, in your podcasting well, business. We're just going to call Nate Schnarr found money at this point. Pretty much. Anyway, coming in at number 35 is another under the radar prospect, in my opinion, Etu Pakilla. Mm-hmm. Uh, who dropped two spots, again, victim of circumstance, uh, as opposed to poor performance, because he actually uh, had, a, in my opinion, a fairly decent, uh, or actually a fairly good 2019-20. He got into 39 games with his senior team with Ilves in the Liga. He only averaged about 11 minutes, 28 per game, because, again, young guy in Europe, doesn't play a lot, but he still poor, scored six goals and had five assists. That's not bad for a 20-year-old winger, yeah. Dan. And Ilvis did him a favor by loaning him to Kuvi in Mestis, which I believe is their second division. And he put up five goals and nine assists in 18 games with them. So it was clearly a sign that, yeah, he can handle the, the he can handle pro hockey in Finland. It maybe just not quite yet at the Liga mm-hmm. level. He's still playing with Liga um, with Ilvis. Um, you know, he still has a couple, I think, at least one more year on his contract there. He's got two goals and two assists in seven games so far. He's still averaging very few minutes because, again, young winger in Europe. But he's trying to make the most of his opportunity. So if his role with Ilvis grows, then I think interest in him will also grow, both in terms of this list, Dan, and both with the New Jersey Devils. Yeah. So I wish him the best. I know this is someone that people were excited about when he was first drafted as well in terms of like being a later round steal. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see how he performs in his elevated role to, you know, hopefully make a push for that top 25 because we have a name right above his that was just drafted this year and is another one of those, oh, this is an astute pick at this spot, but we'll, we'll see how he develops. That's right. And that would be Yarmir Pitlick mm-hmm. of the Sioux Greyhounds, um, coming in at 34, uh, he transferred from, to Sioux from the Czech Republic last season and he garnered plenty of plenty of attention it helps playing in the ohl during a very strong year for the ohl prospects um big big frame forward most of the scouts have a fairly common opinion of him he's a good all-around player he's good in front of the net he's good off the puck you know he he's got good skills the big question is what is the upside Mm -hmm. because the problem with well-rounded players is you know how well-rounded are you going to be at the nhl level or in the ahl level you know it's one thing to do it's one thing to be a jack of all trades, master of none at the OHL level, but how is that going to translate to the future? Right. So he wait, he rated well enough among most of the other non-first round, just drafted players. Like he comes in at 34, which is typically higher than most of the guys who don't get drafted in the first round out of a draft class. And, you know, he has a good, decent spot here. So I think Pete, to your point, Dan, he, you know, he's getting, he's getting plenty of credit for his mm-hmm. pick. Coming in at number 33 is a guy who's this is his last entry on the list due to age. Uh, he's a big riser coming up from 42 last year to 33rd is Gillis Sen. He had a campaign to remember due to injuries in New Jersey. He got into two NHL games. You never forget your NHL debut. No. Um, and he had a fairly decent time in the AHL last season while a 91, 90.1 save percentage overall is not 
amazing or all that good on its own. It was better than some of the other goalies Binghamton had last season, like Cormier. So, you know, he stayed in the AHL. And even though Wedgwood was signed, Sen could still be the number three goalie in the system, all things considered. Wedgwood could just be that veteran expansion draft uh, protection that he wants. Yeah, exactly. So, again, he's not going to make the top 25. He's going to be 25 next year, so he's going to age out of the list. But he moved up big time, and he had the second biggest gain compared to the 2019 list. So, well done, son. You come in at 33 for your last entry Mm -hmm. here. Coming at number 32 is Daniel Misul, the left-shooting defenseman, uh, who has been playing for Lokomotiv Yaroslavl. So, as I mentioned with Zaitsev, a young guy, uh, plays very few minutes for Lokomotiv. However, interestingly, last season— um, he stayed primarily with Locomotive. He didn't go down to Loco, their MHL uh, affiliate mm-hmm. in the junior league. So he played 35 games for them, albeit he averaged fewer than nine minutes per game, but they clearly like him enough to stick him around. And he also did make the World Junior uh, Championship roster that won silver at the 2020 WJC. So, you know, he had a fairly good year. But, um, you know, this is another long-term prospect because he signed with Locomotive through 2022 and 2023. So in time, he may have a capable defender. But again, until he does something really worthy of extensive praise or has that quote-unquote big breakout year, he's not going to rank very highly on this list. He actually fell six spots. I just don't remember a time where the Devils had this many KHLers or MHLers in their prospect pool at once. Yeah, it's very weird because in – the nineties and, and you know, the two thousands, you know, the team regularly picked out of Russia. But I think the reality is uh, part one, I think the Russian scouts just either the devils didn't get a chance to pick on the, on the guys they wanted or the guys they did eventually pick didn't turn out so well. So they just lost a little confidence in those picks and the Russian factor, as they call it is a real thing. The fact is if you're a young prospect and you're kind of a borderline, we don't know if you're going to be an NHL player. You do have that decision is very real. Do I, strike it out and hope for the best in North American hockey? Or do I make a very good career hanging out in the KHL where staying in the KHL will help me get more minutes and help me get a better contract? You know, it's not like Sweden or Finland where there's a transfer agreement and and therefore, and teams don't seem to hold it against you. If you try to make a push to go play in North America, there seems to be an understanding in um, the SHL and the Liga and the national league and the German league and the Czech League and the Slovakian League that, yeah, we understand that the young best players are going to go to the want to go to the NHL, and we're going to support them with that. Whereas in the KHL, it's definitely a little stronger to say, we're the KHL. What do you mean you want to go to the NHL? What, what are you going to get that you're not getting with us? Right. <laughs> and, 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 you know, we can go over that for the next 15 minutes about that, but we're not going to because we're going to go on to another Russian player, Dan. Arseniy Gritsyuk, mm-hmm. who moved up from 36 to 31 on this list. I actually had him in my top 25 on a personal okay. note. Because he went off for Omsky Yastrzemy of the NHL last season. He finished ninth in the entire league in scoring with 28 goals and 35 assists. He finished second on his team to the surprise 2020 first rounder, Yegor Chinnikov. Yep. To the, uh, that's so, Columbus's you know, pick, right? That was Columbus's infamous mm-hmm. pick. Um he played two games of the VHL, which is their minor slash reserve league. So that's a pro league. He scored a goal and two assists. So he had himself a very good season. Now, the big concern here is that the MHL isn't exactly a very good junior league. Like if you compare it to major junior hockey, I'm going to steal a quote from Will Scouch there uh, for a moment here is that the MHL is very much a eh, 
you you let it play out and let let it figure itself out sort of league. It's not a very intense league like say the OHL, the WHO, the QMJHL. So there is a sense of like if you put him in one of those leagues, like would he be as successful? Would he keep up with the pace and the physicality and the smaller rank? Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, fifty eight, you know, scoring nearly a point per game is always an impressive thing. He actually went above a point per game with the MHL last season. And he actually just made his KHA de- debut with Avangon Arpsk uh, this, in this season so far. He's looking for his first KHL point. He did get five games with Omsky Yastrby, but I believe he's currently with Avangard Omsk playing limited minutes because of, again, young Russian player gets very few minutes in the KHL. Yeah. But, hey, the Omsk is saying he's good enough to play for us. So that's, that's further progress for him. His contract ends this season, so it's going to be interesting if the Devils are going to want to bring him over and see how he does in North America sooner rather than later. He's 19 years old, so, you know, unlike a missile where you're going to have to wait, um, there's definitely more of a hope that he could be somebody for the, for the future. And if he can start getting some production in the KHL, the possibility that he could be one of those surprise fifth-round draft picks, late-round draft picks that uh, becomes a contributor – that possibly will get a little greater. So I hope for the best for Gritsyuk. I'm a fan yeah. of him. So. Coming in at number 30 and just edging out Gritsyuk for 30th on this list is the last non-first-rounder from the 2020 draft class, goaltender Nico Dawes. And I can respect his position here, Dan. It's definitely higher than most non-first-round picks in a draft class, but this is not like most non-first-round draft picks, Dan. Dawes was named the goaltender of the year of the OHL. Yeah. He was named to the OHL's first all-star team. He made Canada's world junior team that won the gold medal. The Um, last goaltender that the Devils drafted uh, even remotely close to this early um, has been pretty good so far. So I think people are seeing Blackwood's ascent and knowing that he was a second rounder, seeing the third rounder in Dawes, who, as you said, was named OHL goalie of the year and thinking, okay, even perception wise, we can tell that that's something a little bit more substantial than say like a sixth round goalie winning it in a different league. This is something that comes with a little bit of a pedigree. Exactly. So, um, and this is why a big reason why I think Cormier is so low on this list and why even, even Sen is low on this list because yes, Dawes is an overage draft pick. He's already 19. He's going to turn 20 over the next uh, season. However, if you're going to pick an overage goalie, pick the guy who is a goaltender of his junior league, yeah. <laughs> you know, Pick a guy with his pedigree, his resume, which is typically not available in the third round of an NHL draft. So you're absolutely right. I think that helped his perception a lot. And if he can repeat his level of performance with Guelph next season, even if he's not goaltender of the year again, I think he could sneak into the 25 uh, next year. Like he can have a Schmid like uh, rise up the ranks. And since we so, know Crawford won't be here, you know, he has a two year deal right now. If Dawes could uh, stay consistent and stay a top OHL goaltender, then maybe we might see him in definitely, you know, professional hockey um, before anticipated, but maybe even the NHL backing up Blackwood. Yeah, exactly. And that's a good reason as any why he's higher up on the list compared to some of the other, not some of, but the other goalies mentioned on this list. Every other goalie, right? Except Blackwood. With one exception. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, that's not really much of a Yeah, no, I mean, we, we the guy just finished knew. top 10 last yeah. year. <laughs> you know, I don't think anybody moved him out of his top 10 unless I guess they really hate Mackenzie Blackwood. And the answer is no. no top 10 Mackenzie last Blackwood. year plus one of the only redeemable parts of the team last year. Yeah, it's a good formula for him. Right. <laughs> In any case, sp- moving on to veteran and another player who's going to age out of this list, uh, Josh Jacobs. He comes into his final top 25 under 25 list at 29th. Um, 
Jeff and his panel named Jacobs their best defenseman last season. And I think that kind of speaks to why Jacobs is 29th on this list. He has turned in, from my understanding, is a solid defender in the AHL. That does not mean he is a future NHL player. Um, he, he has been called up exactly two times in his career since going professional in 2016-17. He was called up for one game two seasons ago and two games last season, and he wasn't even the first call up on the, on the defense last season, um, which tells you that he is not that high up the depth chart. Um, that being said, he, he's likely going to be one of the experienced leaders on a Binghamton blue line that's going to be very young very quickly. Um, so he'll be solid there respectable ranking for that type of player it is what it is thank you for being on the list for so many years Mr. yeah <laughs> i mean it's it's a mainstay of the uh i guess not the upper part of the list but definitely not the lower part of the list and his yeah his, exactly he's in the middle he's of like a he's hard middle belong. yeah it's yeah no one more and consistently I'll, I'll, in the middle than josh jacobs Right, and I'll, I'll I'll pull back the curtain a little bit. There wasn't a huge difference between 20th on the list and 30th on the list. Like, you know, there it wasn't, like, that close to say, like, you know, a couple of votes would have changed everything, but it, if perception was slightly better, like, if, let's say, we had the remainder of the 2020, tw I'm sorry, the 2019-2020 season, and let's say Jacobs did well in his call-up, he played, like, 10 more games or something with New Jersey, he could have been in the top 25. Yeah, got a pointer, a it few, you know. Yeah, exactly. You know, in any case, speaking of guys that you wish got a few more points uh, coming in at 28th on the list is Fabian Zetterlund falling from 18th last year down to outside of the top 25. Oh, and actually, um, he, he was in... the subject of some devil's news as well that we uh, forgot to touch. Upon. Yes. I'm... Well, I'm going to touch on it here because it's a... entirely appropriate. Mm -hmm. So we discussed him last season. He came into this past season with the expectation of doing well as a rookie. He didn't. <laughs> uh he ended up being in the bottom six more often than not. He only put up eight goals, 11 assists, and 84 shots in 46 games. That's not terrible, but it's also not impressive. Um, there was definitely a lot of adjustment he needed to make to the AHL game. Um, it's possible. Again, he was a rookie, so it's possible he could he could have a better year uh, next season with Binghamton. However, I do think the Devils believe in his talent, and as such, they just loaned him out, and I mean just loaned him out yesterday. Uh, to AIK of the Allsvenskan, which is Sweden's uh, second division of hockey. Uh, and that's always a positive sign because you don't loan out players that you don't care about. You loan out players that you want to keep active and see what they can do and, and hone more of their game. Basically, so this way they can hit the ground running if and when we have an AHL season. Well, this so, is also a reload. This was the second loan that he went out on. They actually canceled the first one. They terminated that contract. And then this one, uh, he was already out on loan and he, they brought that contract to an end to sign this one that you're talking about now. So I don't know what the story is behind that and why that agreement yeah, was terminated, but I, I completely forgot that he was loaned out earlier. Yeah, this is okay. a reloan. So I'm sure that affected the perception in at least a little bit. Perhaps. Um, but I think, I think the bigger one is the fact that he came into uh, Binghamton and didn't impress. Yeah. So it is what it is, but he fell off the list. Um, he just finished literally like a, a one or two votes behind number 27 on our list, Colton White, mm -hmm. who's a little younger than J.S. Jacobs. He's a little bit more of a puck mover than Josh Jacobs. He got called up ahead of Josh Jacobs last season and played six games for New Jersey last season. Um, he's 23, so he's going to be on the list for another year. He fell from 22 to 27, another victim of uh, circumstances more so than necessarily a bad season. I would argue Jacobs had the better year last season in Binghamton, but again, from a purpose of perception – 
you have to question what potential Jacobs really has in the organization. I think White doesn't have a lot of potential either, but he is a year younger, so he has that going yeah. for him. Um, but, you know, White is one of those players that he's probably going to be ending up as a quasi-veteran for a team that's going to add a bunch of young guys to their blue line in Binghamton. So I think he's he, he's still going to be a call-up like Jacobs, but hey, it's something. So he's in the middle of the list where he probably belongs. And the last player on this episode that we're going to discuss on this list is a guy who missed out on the top 25. It wasn't particularly close between him and 20, 25 and 26, but you could make a case he could be on the 25. Yeah. I put him in my 25. <laughs> uh, you did yeah. not. Nikita Okotyuk of uh, Ottawa 67s. And this is interesting, Dan. So if you go to the AHL's website, they have a big banner at the top that says that they're not starting their season earlier than December 4th. That doesn't mean they're going to start on December 4th, Dan, just that they're not going to start any earlier right. than that. December 4th is Okotyuk's birthday. Yeah. And that makes him old enough. Ooh, that makes him old enough to go straight to Binghamton. And that was a big reason why I had him higher up on my list than maybe I would have put him because similar to Nathan Bastion, where his, his birth date worked out that he could jump up to uh, the AHL earlier than say Michael McLeod. um, I fully expect that he's going to start in Binghamton. Mm -hmm. In fact, you know, this is a bit of a reach here, but the you know, Ken Danico had an Instagram uh, picture up. Um, about a week or so ago, having a meal, a face-to-face meal. I know, imagine that in this uh, pandemic times. A face-to-face meal with Kevin Ball, Ty Smith, and this was the curious one to me, Nikita Okotyuk. I think Riley Walsh was there, I'd... too. And Walsh was there, too. So, I, 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 you know, even his EP profile says he's listed as a <laughs> yeah, big just pulled that up right so, now and seeing that. So, yeah, you, you, there's definitely so a grain, he... more than a grain of truth to this. Yeah, and to be fair, you know, he didn't have a bad season on the best team in in, in the CHL last mm-hmm. season. Like, he didn't play that much because he had a pretty nasty finger injury, but he went well. He played well enough as a defensive-minded defenseman for 39 games. The fact that he's going to take a step up in his career as opposed to Masul, McCarthy, and Vukacevic, I think was a big reason why he moved up from 32nd to 26 on this mm-hmm. list. So, and if he hits the ground running and starts showing off uh, being a solid defender in the AHL level, I think he's a shoe in for the 25 next year. So that's where we will leave it. John, those are 27. I gotta give you a round of applause for that one, by the way, that that's details on each of the players ranked 26 to 52. And I know we did cover some of them last week in terms of, uh, you know, going into more specifics, but there are a lot of players here that we did not get to. So great job there. And uh, really looking forward to one through 25 as well. Yeah, and I do want to emphasize, and I did include this in the post on Monday, is the actual list, like your voting list, my voting list, the community surveys voting list. Some of them, some people rated some of these guys in the top 25. If they did not end up in the in the top 25 overall, don't be mad, don't be salty, don't rage against the 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 night, so to speak. <laughs> you know, it's an exercise in perception. It's all about opinions, about how we see the players, not necessarily how the organization sees the players, and just because you're off the top 25 one year doesn't mean you're going to not shoot up the rankings in the future. And there was one player who shot the rankings like a rocket. Like I didn't expect him to move up this high. That's another tease for what we're going to discuss in in the coming weeks. Cause we're going to break down the list five, five players at a time over the next week. So we're going to have some prospect discussion on a regular basis. In addition to Brian's updates on the site every Tuesday with all the players that are loaned out now, including Mr. Zetterlund, who's now with AIK. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah, we'll have those updates uh, going weekly to kind of coincide with when the articles come out detailing the top 25. But also, if there's any other Devils news or happenings that uh, take place, one would presume that the signing of Jesper Bratt and Mackenzie Blackwood would be a pretty high priority at this point now that the coaching staff is filled out. And also, any other free agents that they sign with their available cap space that's left after that. Uh, we'll be sure to cover it here, but that brings us to the end of this episode. So, uh, for anyone on the lookout for news, check the feed for Brat and Blackwood news. That's really the next thing we're looking out for. And in the meantime, you can take a look at the breakdown of prospects number 26 through 52 on the devil system under 25 years old and uh, give us some of your thoughts as well. And I know, you know, most of you uh, that listen to this probably did end up participating in the rankings as well, but we're curious to see, you know, what specifically had one player over the edge for you and what uh, caused someone to drop and what really collaborated together to cause the Papagaya of Precipice to really fall out. So, that all being said, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll be back with you next week to break down some more prospects and address any Devils news that might come our way. And, as always, let's go Devils! Go Devils! Have a good day, everyone.